Before the message this morning, I would like to share a short story with you as I think of Brother Willis and Sister Irma coming. I'd like to share just briefly of how I first met Willis and Irma. It was approximately 15 years ago that I was invited to preach a series of revivals in Moorfield, Ontario. And as I thought about going to that church at Moorfield, I thought, well, I'll at least know two of the men in that church. I would know Howard Bean and Ed Bean, but Howard Bean was serving as a bishop in another congregation, so I only knew one man in that congregation. And anyway, that was, that was Ed Bean, and Ed and Rose were giving elder care to her parents, and so I thought I was going to stay with them, but I didn't. And so they decided they was going to send me to another pastor and his wife that I had no connection with at all, and that was Willis and Irma. And it was March, it was springtime, and in Ontario it's really cold. And Sally wasn't along with me, and they offered me a bedroom downstairs, and it was freezing in that room. It was really cold. And I will tell you that this thin-skinned preacher from the South went to bed that night with a pair of sweatpants on and a jacket. And the second night, I asked Irma, I said, would you mind to give maybe just a little blanket and a little space heater in case it gets chilly? And uh, so she, they complied with that. But I guess you could say that my relationship with Willis and Irma got off to a rather frigid beginning. Um, but I look back, and Willis and Irma have become very, very good friends. I feel like uh, our hearts beat the same. We, and I appreciate Willis and Irma very, very much. And Sally and I will be honored to have them in our home as guests. I would just tell you, please make Willis and Irma feel welcome. I believe you will. Now for the message today. Brothers and sisters, I would submit to you that our attitude toward this revival series will largely determine what we receive. If this revival series next week, if it's nothing but a bother, and an inconvenience to your schedule, we probably will receive little. But on the other hand, if this series is an opportunity to hear from God, to grow in our understanding and our obedience to Him, we will receive much. We'll be blessed individually, and I believe we will be strengthened co collectively as the body of Christ. But the choice is ours. How will we receive what's coming starting tomorrow night? The title of the message this morning is The Tale of Two Worshippers. For a text, I would invite you to Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Several verses here that are very familiar. Luke chapter 18, verse 10. Where Jesus says this, Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. You know, Jesus was so concerned with the attitudes of those who came to the temple to worship that he told this parable. Back up to verse 9, Jesus told the purpose of why he told this parable when he said this, 
And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. The purpose of this was to address those that felt they were self-righteous and that those who were prejudiced against others. And brothers and sisters, I believe that you and I will find that we will identify with one of these two worshipers during our revival series this coming week. Either we are self-satisfied, we're self-righteous and we're satisfied and we don't really have many needs, or we will recognize that we are spiritually needy. So which one of these men will we identify in this coming week? Which one are you? Now let's read the account here in Luke 18, 10 to 14. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus says in verse 14, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Here in this account, we have the two men described. The one was a Pharisee. The Pharisee, he was a man of religious privilege. He was a son of Abraham. He was, he was a strict observer of the law. And then we have the publican. It's my understanding that the publican was also a son of Abraham. However, he had become a traitor to his own people and he was collecting taxes for the enemy, for Rome, and he probably enjoyed a very opulent lifestyle, probably similar to Zacchaeus. Here we have the story of the tale of two worshipers. What do we see here in verses 11 and 12? Read that again. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Here was a man who put a lot, a lot of stock in who he was. He probably graduated from Jewish seminary with a degree in theology. He claimed a greater religious status in his own biological heritage than in true godly character. He had the audacity to approach God on his own merits. And imagine the stench of self-righteousness that was emanating from this man. It was a stench of self-righteousness. Notice in verse 11 what the Pharisee said. Well, notice his prayer, first of all. And I submit to you that the Pharisee's prayer had little altitude. It says he stood and prayed thus with himself. He was not speaking to God. His prayer had little altitude. But sad to say, this man's prayer was filled with attitude and prejudice. 
And that was the very purpose that we see here in verse 9 that Jesus told this parable in the first place was because of those who had an attitude of self-righteousness and of prejudice. In verse 12, this man, he enumerated many of the facets of his seemingly sterling character. He said, I fast twice in the week. It's my understanding that in the Mosaic Law that the men were required to fast once a year. You compare once a year to a man who's fasting twice a week. And it's almost like this man was doing a hundred times more of what's required. You have 52 weeks. This man was fasting twice a week, approximately a hundred times more than what was required in the law. This man certainly must have been a good man, wasn't he? He said, I give tithes, or I give 10% of all that I possess, not only of his property, but also of his income. And this man felt that he was a real asset to God in his kingdom. And God was fortunate to have such a dedicated follower on his side, at least in the, in the Pharisees' eyes. He thought that God was fortunate to have him on God's side. And I ask you the question, is it possible to do the right things but with wrong motives? Is it possible to do right things from the wrong motive? I'm not going to turn to it, but Matthew 23 says about the scribes and the Pharisees, all the works that they do, they do to be seen of men. All the works they do, they do to be seen of men. And so it is true that people can do right things, but from wrong motives. Obviously, this man wanted the praise of men much more than he desired the approval of the Father. Maybe more importantly than what the Pharisee said is what he left unsaid. As if this man had no sin, he asked for no forgiveness. As if he had no defect, as if he had no weakness, he asked for no divine aid. As if he had no wants, he asked for no favors. This man felt he was a pretty good religious man. He might have been pretty religious, but how godly was he? Now let's consider verse 13. We'll call this the grief-stricken publican. Luke 18, verse 13, And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we assume that the publican, where it says he was standing afar off, he was denied close proximity to the temple area. But he did not let the fact that he was a son of Abraham, he did not let that fact obscure his deep need for repentance. And like I said, brothers and sisters, let's give consideration this morning. Which one of these men do you identify? Which do I identify Am I a man who has been a Christian for a long time and I'm on a spiritual plateau and I really don't have many needs? God forbid if that's where we're at. Are we a publican, a man who has many needs and we're desiring this coming week 
for God to open up and by the Holy Spirit to show us areas in our life where we're deficient, maybe in an area that is inhibiting our relationship with God. How is it? Which one of these men do you identify with? We can see by this man's posture that it signified his deep contrition for his sin against God. It says here in the account that he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. And more than that, it says that the publican smote upon his breast and he cried out for mercy. I don't believe he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe he... He was sincere and in earnestness. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This man, the publican, he took full responsibilities for the sins that he had committed. And then in verse 14, Jesus gives us the rest of the story, not according to Paul Harvey, but according to his complete truth. Notice, Jesus said that the publican went home justified and the Pharisee went home condemned. One went home with his sin completely forgiven. His spirit lifted. He was full of the joy of the Lord. But the Pharisee, he went home with the same burden of condemnation that he had brought to the temple. His heart was still darkened by self-righteousness and pride. And his heart was still heavy when he went home. His heart was still full of sadness when he went home. The tale of two worshipers. When you and I go home on the night of March the 3rd, what will be the condition of our heart? Third point of the message, which one are you? The condition of these men seems extreme. And yet, brothers and sisters, I believe that if you and I are honest, we each have a propensity toward the attitudes of either one of these two men. Which one do we have the tendency to, to lean toward? A man that was self-righteous with little needs? Are we... Do we lean toward a person who's open toward God, desiring, God, show me what is in my heart that needs addressing? Either we are self-satisfied in our Christian experience, having few needs, or we have an attitude of being poor in spirit, recognizing that we have many needs and we are willing to be open. We're willing to be transparent, not only to God, but to our fellow men as well. I'm convinced that there's not one individual in the auditorium this morning who's not concerned about eternal life. I'm convinced that there's no one here that's not concerned about your eternal destiny. And just like the rich young ruler, you know, he came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, Keep the commandments. And the young ruler said, I've done that, and now what, what else do I like? The Bible tells us that Jesus looked on him 
The Bible tells us that Jesus loved him and he said, one thing, thou lackest. And he pointed to the issue that this man, Jesus did not skirt the issue in this man's life or his question. He came and asked Jesus, what lack I yet? Jesus did not skirt the issue, but he pointed, he put his finger on the issue. That was 2,000 years ago. And brothers and sisters, I don't believe that Jesus will skirt the issue. The Holy Spirit will not skirt the issue in this coming week if we are willing say, Lord, what like I yet? Is there something in my life? And I believe the Holy Spirit can say, there is one thing you like, or there is an issue that you need to give consideration. The Holy Spirit will not skirt the issues of sin this coming week. But the question is, are you and I, are we honestly seeking God for the missing ingredients of spirituality in our lives this week? What should, be, what should we keep in focus this week? Number one, we need to keep in focus is the effectiveness of God's word. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us how effective God's word is. Verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Will Jesus skirt the issue? Verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God's omniscience and his searchlight will reveal areas of wrong or sin if we're open to it. Also, I thought of the, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. We looked at that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. John chapter 16, verse 8. The importance this next week of the work of the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. I think the NIV says that he will convict the world of guilt. The work of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know what the Holy Spirit may speak to you. I don't know what the Holy Spirit may speak to me through our brother. I just named just a few that he may speak to. He may speak to the need of love. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, A new commandment that I give unto you, that ye love one another as... We know we're supposed to love one another. But to think of the standard as I have loved you, Jesus gave his life for us. He desires that we love each other like he loved us. And brothers and sisters, I'm not prepared. I do not have the vocabulary to be able to tell you how much that love is. But he's calling you and I to love each other like he loved us. Jesus may, or the Holy Spirit may address forgiveness this week. Remember Peter in Matthew 18, he came to Jesus and said, How, how all shall I forgive my brother? Till seven times? 
And Jesus said, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven, in essence, Peter, you're not supposed to be keep, keeping count. The Holy Spirit may address our need to forgive in this coming week. He may address our need of prayer. Remember the disciples in Luke chapter 1, verse 1, Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'll tell you, you all here, I feel like I try to keep up with my Bible reading, but I feel like I don't pray as much as I should. Prayer is a very vital, important, important part of the Christian life. And I don't believe anything much, much good is done outside of prayer. Maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to Jay on the need of praying more. The, Lord, the Holy Spirit may speak to us about trusting God more completely. Matthew 6 would refer to that. The Lord, the Holy Spirit may speak to us about covetousness. If you remember in Luke chapter 12, there was a man that came to Jesus and he said, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus did, now he, uh, maybe I should turn to that so I get it right. Luke chapter 12. Thinking about covetousness. Luke chapter 12. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to thy, my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And Jesus gave this caution, this warning, and he said in verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And brothers and sisters, I've seen cases, and I've heard of cases in life, where people's attitudes really come to the surface at the time of settling an estate. Should that be part of our experience? The Holy Spirit may speak to us about the need for more humility. And I think of the account of the centurion who had a lot of men under him, but he said, I am a man under authority. And I love that story. I'm not going to turn to it. That is in uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 10. So brothers and sisters, I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to suggest what the Holy Spirit will speak to you. But I hope you and I are open this week to the Holy Spirit speaking to us. In conclusion, to you, my brothers and sisters, our revivals begin tomorrow evening. Will our attitude toward revival most closely resemble the Pharisee or that of the publican? And I submit to you that what we receive next week will be a reflection of our attitude. May our prayer be as the prayer of David who said this. I hope this is our prayer for next week. Search me, O God. I guess it's not next week. It's tomorrow evening. It's this week. David said this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me 
in the way everlasting. May God help us to that end. It's my prayer that you and I would have the attitude of the publican that we would be open to whatever the Holy Spirit would desire to show us this coming week. May God bless you to that end.